0: America one voice United we stand. I am America, one hope to heal our land. George Addis today on our, our show America can we talk we're gonna talk about President Trump welcoming the new Brazilian president to freedom and maybe even NATO the Supreme Court upholds the Trump administration and immigration sanity and the Equality Act and Transgender Story Hour for five-year-olds. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. And welcome again to America Can we Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiades. President Trump welcomed in the White House yesterday the new president of Brazil. And this is a really exciting uh, meeting, actually, for many reasons. The new Brazilian president is named Jair Bolsonaro. Jair Bolsonaro. And he was elected actually in late October of 2018 in a runoff election. He was uh, trumpeted during his campaign as the Trump of South America or the Trump of Brazil. He ran on a platform of returning strength and self-reliance to the country of Brazil. So he was called a nationalist uh, candidate, but he really ran on a freedom ticket, on rejection of left-wing ideas, rejection of socialism, rejection of the path that country was headed down and really kind of a reinstatement of freedom in Brazil. President Trump welcomed him in the White House, and among the things that were said at the White House included President Trump making reference to the fact that maybe Brazil should become a member of NATO, or at least uh, there's a status you can seek at NATO, a major non-NATO ally. That is the status Brazil has been seeking. And so they talked about NATO, uh, maybe Brazil ultimately becoming part of NATO, or at least getting some of the benefits of NATO members which of course is a North Atlantic Treaty Organization. And that was seen by many people, not just as a really strong endorsement of this, of Brazil, of the new leadership, of the return to freedom in this country, the rejection of left-wing big government, socialist government, but also maybe as a little tiny bit of a hint, a slam at Angela Merkel, who in Germany announced just yesterday, that despite their commitment, despite their promise, as a matter of fact, that they were going to begin to pay their fair share toward NATO. She announced, Angela Merkel announced, well, actually, yeah, I know we said we would pay our fair share. I know we we said we'd ante up and get close to 2% of our GDP as, as our contribution to NATO. But she's saying, no, we're not, or maybe eventually, what she said is they're going to instead move toward having the um, country uh, slightly increase their, their uh, contribution toward NATO, which is, by the way, for their defense, for the defense of Europe, slightly increase their contribution, nothing near an in, in absolute dollars or in percent of what America pays, but that they can't really ante up like they said they would because Number one, they are paying for this massive pipeline to be built, which will bring in oil and energy from Russia. This was a rejection by Angela Merkel of buying more energy from America. It was seen as a questionable alliance with Putin, but they got money to spend on that and money to spend, of course, on the massive number of refugees they continue to bring into that country who have caused such impossibly difficult challenges. And they also, she said, need to put more money into foreign aid, she said they're not cutting foreign aid just to pay up their uh, fair share in NATO. Well, th- so that was kind of a, a hint of whether Trump is maybe trying to tell Angela Merkel, you better start doing your fair share because Brazil would be a really strong potential partner in uh, NATO and really just kind of on the, as an ally to America and more Western, Western civilization, freedom-based ideas. But the other big topic of this, and why I'm loving, by the way, loving the fact that Trump welcomed this guy into the White House, they had a very positive press conference, and according to all reports, a very positive meeting, was that they talked about what they can do jointly to deal with the ongoing disastrous consequence in the country of Venezuela, consequence flowing directly from socialism. So the Brazilian government, this Jair Bolsonaro has already agreed as has America, many Latin American countries to honor these, this, uh, he calls himself interim president Maduro, the, the, uh, elected, the, the most recently elected president of Venezuela will not agree to step down. So but the new guy, Galledo, has now been recognized not just by America, but by uh, Brazil and other Latin American countries. But they talked about using their new relationship, the new strength between of the relationship between Brazil and America to bring increased pressure on Venezuela, and so that, that's a very positive consequence. In fact, I wanna tell you something that, um, that uh, Bolsonaro said when he landed here, he, um, he talked about, um, his uh, when he landed here, he said essentially first time in a long time that a friend of America from Brazil is landing here. He actually was calling himself an ally and a friend of Trump and of America. So this is you know driving left wing people nuts. But the real beside the fact that maybe Brazil will help America put further pressure on Venezuela. It also brings out, causes all of us to remember again what it is the American left is arguing for in this country, in our country today. There was a press conference where uh, the resident Democrat socialist in Congress, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, was asked essentially, you know, what she thinks. What does she think about the situation in Venezuela? Maduro, the socialist, um, you know, dictator will not surrender power, will not step down, will not allow aid to get to his people, even though the people are literally starving to death. I want you to hear what Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez had to say about this when she was asked. Um, as a democratic socialist, I'm wondering if, uh, what are your thoughts on the Venezuelan that's happening right yeah. now and if you would denounce the Maduro regime. Yeah, so I think that, that this is absolutely a complex issue. I think it's important that uh, that we approach this very carefully. One, I am um, I myself, just like anyone else, is absolutely concerned with the humanitarian crisis that's happening. And I think it's important that any solution that we have centers the Venezuelan people and centers the democracy of, of Venezuelan people first. I am very concerned about U.S. interventionism in Venezuela, and I oppose it. She went on to say, "Let me make it clear: you and and I and the world." Are watching Venezuela descend, is already has descended into absolute horror, horrific situations, people starving in the streets, no food available, grocery store shelves are empty, the hospitals don't have basic medications to help people with simply cured illnesses, including children, people are can't find water, can't find food. And this has been been going on for over a year now. In fact, several years of just descending into economic ruin and the inflation rate just ridiculously over over the top. There's no, people have been breaking into the zoo to eat zoo animals, eating their pets. I mean, it's a horrific situation. And this Democratic socialist Alexandria Ocasio Cortez could not bring herself in this entire interview to agree number one, that Maduro is a dictator, wouldn't do it would not do it, would not condemn socialism. She refused to call on Maduro to step down, even though the world can see that he's got a a grip on power there that is causing massive death and destruction. She wouldn't call him a dictator. Her only negative words were about the Trump administration and whether they should. uh, and, and, And she actually denounced America providing humanitarian aid to the Venezuelan people, many of whom are forced to eat food out of trash. So this is not just a situation watching in South America, not just the situation or the view of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez versus Trump and the Brazilian leader about Venezuela. This is the issue America faces in the 2020 presidential election cycle. What the American left stands for in this country as represented by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is the death of America. It is the absolute destruction of freedom in this country, the destruction of the free market system, the destruction of the ability of people to live in freedom and prosperity. If she can't denounce socialism, if she can't call Maduro a dictator, if she can't say, yeah, you really shouldn't have a system, people are starving to death. She's, pr- she's so proud to be in her feeble mind, somehow a, a spokesman for democratic socialism that somehow they can take that evil idea of socialism and make it good because she's smarter or Bernie Sanders is smarter or other leftists are smarter in America, then she's telling you, she is promising you what she would do to America. And it's not just Alexandria. It is the left-wing mindset in this country. The elections in 2020, no matter who's nominated on the Democrat side, the elections in 2020 come down to, we're gonna have America, or not America. We're going to have freedom, or not freedom. We're going to have food on our tables. And by the way, speaking of just the like the real life consequence, there's a picture that was actually I think from Patriot Post. I think, um, I think Matt has it. You know when you go to the grocery store in America and sometimes you say, oh dang, they didn't have exactly the brand of water I was going to buy and the size bottle I wanted. Look at the one picture up there. So many choices of water in every grocery store in America, the first world problem we sometimes have is, oh, I didn't find the one I was trying to buy. In socialism, they are literally drinking sewer water to get water. So I'm back to, I'm telling you about 2020 in America. The elections here are not about some leftist, anyone on the Democrat side who seems to be the nicest or the most charming, or I think he or she is cool. The elections are about, are we gonna have America or not? Are we going to have freedom and free markets or are we going to go to socialism, communism, desperation and ruin? That is what is on the table in 2020. It doesn't matter what you think about any other issue. If you want there to be America after 2020, we all have to get in the bandwagon to get Trump reelected, to get a Republican majority back in that U S house because the American left is so far out of bounds so far out of the American playing field. And this my friends, my regular listeners, my people who email me, is why I do this show. It is because America is on the verge of going over the cliff and being destroyed. Venezuela was destroyed by socialism in 20 years. They were a robust economy, they were the most robust economy in South America. We are watching the fast forwarding what could happen to America by watching Venezuela. We have leftists here who somehow think that even though Venezuela is in ruins and we can all watch it on nightly television every night and watch it online and see it if we go online and just Google starvation in Venezuela, that somehow, somehow that we can do socialism differently here and it won't happen to us. Venezuela was destroyed in 20 years. It won't take 20 years to destroy America. You hear virtual silence on the left condemning anything that this woman says. She is the titular leader, the figurehead leader of the Democrat Party in Washington. Nancy Pelosi is a joke. The person who is leading the Democrat Party in this country, leading policy, leading direction, leading their themes, is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and nobody is condemning her. If you want America to be America, you need to stay on board with President Trump and the idea of America, and recognize that that is essentially the entire issue on the 2020 election cycle, the presidential cycle, is you, do you want America or do you wanna be Venezuela? I'm Debbie Georges, this is America Can we Talk, and we're gonna have exactly a three second break. And coming back from the break, I wanna talk with you about a Supreme Court decision, came down yesterday, related to immigration and tied to that, again, President Trump standing up for America, hardly being helped by anyone. Stay tuned. Back already? So, President Trump got a victory in the Supreme Court yesterday, and as many, many decisions are on the Supreme Court, it was 5-4. This is uh, unfortunately the story of the Supreme Court, really over decades. We, we have some amazing, you know, 9-0 decisions. Pretty much we have a lot of 5-4s and maybe 6-3s. But the Supreme Court ruled yesterday, uh, it involved a federal law that concerns people who entered America illegally. So they are illegal aliens. They have no legal status to be here and they've committed a crime and they've been punished for that crime. They've been, they've committed it. They have been prosecuted. They've been convicted. They've served their time. They've come out of prison. They still have no legal right to be here. And that group, those people are the ones who brought a lawsuit and made the argument to the Supreme Court all the way up through the district court. And by the way, naturally they chose courts in California, went through the Ninth Circuit, the most liberal unconstitution, you know, constitution defying appellate court in the entire country, the Ninth Circuit, these people brought a case arguing that a tiny little provision in the federal law that talks about even after an illegal alien has been, you know, arrested for some other crime, whatever the other crime they did you know, got trial, got convicted, went to prison, that the law currently, the law reads that a person who is, um, that the government can detain convicted, convicted aliens when the alien is released. Meaning the government has the right, once you're released from prison, the government has the right to hold you, to detain you. They tried to argue that that meant that the government had to be able to be Johnny on the spot the moment they're released from prison, that the government only had 24 hours, that that was what the term in the law when the alien is released meant. And if the government did not happen to nab them the moment they were released from federal prison and then they went back to their sanctuary state or city, that the government then could not deport them. I want you to just think about that for a moment. They know they entered America. I mean, the, the audacity is breathtaking. They know they entered America illegally. They have no legal right to be here. On top of that, they commit a crime, some other crime. They are caught, they're convicted, they go to jail. And when they get out, they actually took a court, a case to the Supreme Court to argue, well, they shouldn't be able to deport me if they don't If they don't catch up with me in 24 hours, I should be able to get away scot-free. Fortunately, and you'd think there should have been 9-0, but it wasn't. 5-4. The Supreme Court, though, did go the right way, backed the Trump administration and said, essentially, are you freaking kidding me? No plaintiffs, you do not have the right to impose a 24 hour period in the federal government and otherwise to drift off scot-free and go back to wherever, wherever sanctuary place that you live. So the holding of the case was federal authorities could apprehend and detain aliens with criminal records at any time, not only immediately after their release from prison. I just want to underscore again, the audacity we have, created a sense of entitlement to stay in America for illegal aliens. They know they have no right to be here. They know they broke the law when they came here. They have no green stat, green card. They have no status to be here, but they are so imbued with the spirit of indignation, so imbued with the idea they're entitled to live here, that they dare to take a case all the way to the Supreme Court to argue if they don't catch us within 24 hours, being released from prison, hey, scot free. So that was the that was hold the holding that was good, that the Supreme Court actually agreed that America is allowed to enforce its own laws. Staggeringly, but you know, I want to rate this kind of ties into something else that happened over the last few weeks. You realize, of course, that President Trump is still trying to finish the wall along the border, and President Trump said he was going to use military uh, funding money to finish the border wall when he could not get Congress to authorize sufficient money for it. So Congress wouldn't give him what he wanted. You know, the Republicans capitulated, the Democrats in the House tried to hold it up. So we get to the point where Trump issues an emergency order. And we talked about this last week. He issues an emergency order and says, basically, I'm going to use money that the military, that I'm going to declare emergency under the Federal Emergency Powers Act. I'm going to declare an emergency, I'm going to use federal funds to finish out to complete the wall. So Congress took up the bill, the resolution saying, you can't do that. This is not an emergency at the border. So the house run by the Democrats, of course they go, they immediately pile on, they vote yes. Trump is not allowed to build the wall. He's not allowed to use emergency money. It goes over to the Senate and the Senate also the majority vote in the Senate, even though the Republicans have the majority, the majority vote in the Senate was to go along with the the house, the Democrat run house, and vote yes on the resolution, meaning vote against Trump, vote against the wall. So President Trump vetoed that bill, meaning he, there, and, and the votes are not there in the US House or in the Senate to override his veto. It takes two thirds of the House and Senate to override a veto. They don't have two thirds. So Trump will get his way. Although now this issue go before the courts and it'll end up at the Supreme Court. And I'll predict to you, my lawyer head background and common sense will tell you, Supreme Court's gonna say, of course he could declare an emergency declaration. But I wanna make several points about this today. And, and, uh, and just, first of all, let me play, there's a quick clip from President Trump when he signed this veto of the resolution that said he's not allowed to declare an emergency, not allowed to build the wall. Here's President Trump. Have sound, but there he is anyway. There is our, our great president. Well, anyway, from that clip, essentially he said, you know, how could you possibly not be saying this is an emergency? Of course it's an emergency and yes, we're going to build the wall. And so he vetoed the, uh, house and Senate uh, resolution saying that he couldn't build the wall. But what I want to get at is a couple of really, really important points about this to keep in mind as we go forward, trying to figure out What in the heck we're going to do about border security and the broader question, what are we going to do when one of the two major political parties in this country does not want border security, does not want people who've entered illegally to ever be sent home, even if they commit crimes, the people who run sanctuary cities, the sanctuary governor in California, they are saying the Democrat party of this country is saying these people should get to stay because, because not, there's no rationale to it in law or in logic. The rationale is they think these people will eventually be legalized and become a permanent Democrat majority voting base. This is the open borders is a Democrat voter recruitment project. That's what it is. And the Democrats know this, but i want to get a couple other things. So the Democrats, you know, that's where their head is. They want nothing more than to get a big voting base that will always vote for their ever expanding Marxist style, big government, collectivist government in Washington plan for America. They want people who came here illegally see the Democrats the only ones trying to help them stay here illegally, the Democrats who create programs that they can get housing, food, education, medical care for free. This is what the Democrats are doing to create a permanent Democrat voting base. And everybody on our side can see that. So I ask you to consider the 12 yes, 12, uh, de- Republicans, Allegedly, same party as President Trump, 12 Republicans who voted with the Democrats in the Senate to block President Trump from using military money to build the wall. 12 of them. And I'm going to tell you why I'm so troubled by them, but it is among the ringleaders of this impossibly clueless band of Republicans in the Senate, Mitt Romney has no idea what time it is in America, no idea. Has He thinks he's living in his head in the 1980s and thinks we have a really interesting uh, intellectual debate with the other side. We're gonna discuss immigration policy and border wall funding. No idea, cannot see what the Democrats are doing. Mitt Romney, Susan Collins, never has a clue from Maine. Marco Rubio still wants to run, needs his Hispanic voting base. He thinks he'll get someday if he runs for president. So he's not going to vote for a wall. Uh, Pat Toomey, Roger Wicker, Lamar Alexander, perpetually clueless, Uh, Lisa Murkowski, you know, kind of, she's in competition to be the John McCain of today. Can she just stick a thorn in the side of Republicans as often as possible? Roy Blount, Jerry Moran, Mike Lee, who is so disappointed me. I could about, I don't know what, um, Rob Portman and Rand Paul, all of those people voted with the Democrats against Trump against funding the wall. And there was a great piece, I think it's up on my website, I'm not sure, AmericaCanWeTalk.org, but I think the piece is up there. great piece by Charlie Kirk, who's a founder of Turning Point USA, essentially asking, why? Why is Trump the only one in the fight? It's a very good question. Why is Trump standing alone, standing up for us? Why is Trump the only one? Who else is even trying to help the president secure the southern border. I'll tell you my reasons I think for some of these people. I mean I do mean the overarching reason is they do not have a clue what time it is in America. They do not realize how radically left the Democrat party has become. They do not realize the left is importing a voting base, which is why they don't want a secure border. They don't realize that once that voting bla- base is here, The Democrats will someday grant them all amnesty and they will have a permanent Democrat voting base. These Republicans do not, they just think that sounds Oh, the Democrats wouldn't do that. They're very reasonable. We'll negotiate. We'll have a, we'll have a conference over it. They have no idea what the agenda is. They cannot see it right in front of their faces. They're too comfortable living in Washington in the in the really cool cocktail party set. In the I want to be invited to the right cocktail parties, the right gatherings. So I'm not going to do anything radical and support President Trump. I also just think there are many Republicans and including some of those in that list who really are the swamp they're just as much the swamp as many people in the democrat side they do not want president trump to succeed they do not want him to drain the swamp to to push power back out of washington down to the people down to the states back to the people. They like being the ruling elite in Washington and pulling all the strings and running this country from Washington. The last thing they want is power back in the hands of the people. They like where they sit as the ruling elite. And there are people on both sides of the aisle. Now it's more Democrats, but still too many Republicans are like that. They also, quite frankly, these Republicans who voted against the wall, they cannot abide the idea of putting up with the lynch mob media in this country, the lynch mob media that spends its time nitpicking what anyone says, picking out a phrase, a a one sentence out of a three hour speech, contorting it and saying, look what, look what he said. Look what she said. This sounds racist, homophobic, xenophobic, something phobic. This, this band of cowards, on the GOP side in the Senate does not want to deal with the fact that if they speak up and they say, Trump is right, we need a border wall, we need it funded. This is an invasion. This is, a, this is a country changing time. If we don't stand up and secure our border and demand that we know who's here and that everyone here has a legal right to be here, either because they're a citizen or they have an immigration status, they can't stand taking the hard stand because they know they will be mocked and ridiculed by the lynch mob media, the Twitter mob, and they would rather just be silent. They'd rather just be jelly-spined, silent, let Trump dangle in the wind, let him take all the blows, and they don't have to. There is nothing noble about what these Republicans did. Some of them tried to say, well, you know, I'm really trying to be careful because this National Emergency Powers Act, I mean, you could have a Democrat come along and they might you know, do something we really don't like. They might say National Emergency Power, we're taking guns away. In fact, I think that was what Roy Blount said. And that is, I'm sorry, such an idiotic argument. The Democrats will always seize as much power as they can. This is similar to the law of gravity. It is always true. The Democrats will always seize all the power they can look what they did. The moment they had the white house, the Senate and the house, they nationalized our healthcare system. They seized control of the entire healthcare system of this country. Despite the fact, that polling at that time told them, the American people don't want you to do this. The American people are against socialized medicine. They do not want you, they do not want Obamacare. The Democrats will always seize power, they'll always seize more when they can because they are Marxists, because they are collectivists. And so the idea that somehow if we don't let Trump do this national emergency about the border wall, somehow we will have protected against a future Democrat president doing something big, doing something radical and seizing power. You can't protect against that, there is nothing Republicans can do that will protect against and name your Democrat candidate for president. They all will do the same thing. They will seize as much power as possible in Washington. Trump has about five allies in the entire U.S. House and U.S. Senate. Mark Meadows, Jim Jordan, Matt Gates, Ted Cruz, maybe the guy Gosar from Arizona. Maybe those people count. But for the most part, Trump has no allies in Congress. He has no allies and he is out there leading on his own. I'm telling you folks, he is going to win the 2020 uh, campaign, uh, pre- presidential campaign and the Republicans who would get on board and stand up would also win. Two other things on this whole veto thing that happened, which is just outrageous that Trump even had to use the veto or had, yeah, had to use a veto. One is the military announced, the Pentagon announced this week that they have come up with billion, B as a boy, billion in funding for the wall. The Pentagon is able to look at other projects they have and say, you know what, we could move this money over, we're gonna move this money over. So the Pentagon has said they could do it. So, I'll tell you two last stories relating to this, we, this invasion at our southern border. It's a combination of the emergency is an invasion at our southern border and the bigger emergency is the fact that one of the two major parties in this country has no interest, not only in securing the border, they have no interest in demanding a return to law and order inside this country. Law and order meaning you have to have a legal status to be here or you can't be here. They have no interest in returning to that. But let me just tell you one other thing. If you want, I was talking about the attitude of the people, the, who, the plaintiffs in that suit who tried to tell America, tried to tell the federal courts, tried to say the Supreme Court that they could hang their hat on a little phrase in the federal law and essentially say, Hey, you know what? If ICE doesn't catch up with us within 24 hours of being released from prison, they're not allowed to deport us. I mean the audaciousness is, is breathtaking. But let me tell you about more audaciousness and why it is this audacity on the left cries out, screams out for strong leaders like Trump is being. And that is this. Now, if I were speaking in person, I do a lot of public speaking by the way, and I always, I to ask, So how many people do you think, what do you think? You know, people raise their hands, can't do that on this show, but let me just ask you the question. How many people do you think there are in America who have who are illegal aliens who are the subject of a final deportation order, meaning they have exhausted all their legal possibilities. They've made all their arguments. They've made their asylum pitch or whatever their argument was to try to get to stay here legally. And they are the subject of a final deportation order. Let me tell you, in fact, I'll tell you folks, if you're listening to the show, wherever, whenever you're listening, wherever, you can always go to my website because everything I say on the show, I give you the links to it so you can go read it yourself. This is from the, the um, uh, Daniel Horowitz, who's with conservative review. He's a great writer, great researcher, lots of data available, but on my website, AmericaCanWeTalk You can go there, you click podcast or you click show across the top. You go now, it says list of links and this is in there. These are the number of illegal aliens already subject to a final deportation order. 1,009,550. So they're what? 300, let's just, you know, generously 340 millions in million, uh, people in America, 340 million people here. That means one out of every 340 people in this country physically contained in our borders is subject, is illegally here and subject to a final deportation order and obviously have no intention of leaving. They just won't follow the law. The left has taught them for decades. You don't have to follow the law. You can just stay here. Don't worry, no one's ever gonna do anything to you. Find a sanctuary city, find a sanctuary state, you can stay. This is what the left is telling them. So you have, in addition to 1,009,550, there are additionally, roughly 1.1 million others who are this close to the final deportation order meaning they're on the next to last step before they get to the final order. They have strung it out, delayed, appealed, argued all the steps they can take, and they are one step away from the final order. So we're really actually over 2 million or a total of at least 1.7 million illegal aliens just from Mexico and Central America with final or near final orders of deportation. And these numbers folks are from June, of 2018. Meaning before the massive caravans that have flooded our southern borders. We have a problem in America, not just because the border isn't secure, but because we have illegal aliens present in this country and pretty much the entire Democrat party who are agreeing that our laws don't matter that there's no reason to care what your legal status is. There's no reason to be talking about your legal status. There's no reason you should have any problem at all. You don't have to have legal status. Just get here, ignore those nasty border patrol people, get inside the country. And once you're here, stay here, hide out in a sanctuary city. It's not just the illegal aliens, bad enough people in our midst think that's okay, but The Democrat Party tells them it's okay. And so, again, I'm back to why the 12 Republicans in the U.S. Senate who would not back President Trump's use in the Emergency Powers Act to order money to be put toward a wall, these people have no idea what time it is in America. They like their Washington, D.C. cocktail parties. They like their coolness of hanging out in Washington. Yeah, I'm not siding with Trump. Yeah, you know, he's kind of a mean guy. I'm not mean. I'm nice. I-, I wouldn't be like that. It is outrageous. It's outrageous that President Trump is fighting this issue on his own. It's outrageous that he doesn't have every member of the Republican Party jumping up and down to help him. But he doesn't. I'm Debbie George-Addis, this is America Can We Talk. We're taking actually a three second break and switching over to our last topic for today, uh, which is going back to a topic from yesterday, the Equality Act. The Equality Act proposed by Democrats in Congress to add LGBTQ identity and I, LGBTQI to Title VII to make it the case that and the same federal law that protects people from discrimination based on race and based on sex will now also outlaw prohibition or will outlaw discrimination based on the LGBTQI. You know, when you, I, I didn't finish all the points I wanted to make yesterday, so I had to come back to it today. Stay tuned. America, can talk? Okay, my final segment of today. And I want to just, yesterday, if you didn't watch the show, I talked about a bill in Congress that the Democrats have proposed. Nancy Pelosi had a big speech and they're proposing the uh, LGBTQI uh, community be added as a protected group under federal law. in the same way federal law says you can't discriminate based on, uh, you know, race, ethnicity, national origin, and sex. And there's a federal, a different law that deals with age discrimination. Well, they want to add the LGBTQI agenda um, identity to that law. And yesterday I gave you some reasons why that is a really, really bad idea, but I want to pile on a few more today because this bill is going to be touted in the 2020 elections, even this year, by candidates pointing out that they would say they're on the side of protecting everyone. In fact, the bill is called the Equality Act, I think. So you know, they always have names that sound really nice, but I'm trying to raise the alarm bell with you to understand what the mission is of the Democrat party in proposing this bill. Number one, you know how we have, you've heard about cases where, for example, a teacher is fired because he or she will not use the gender pronoun an allegedly transgendered student is asking for. So a boy comes to school, says I'm I'm identifying as a girl uh, and that's how I, my gender identity is a girl. And you need to call me she and her and all that. And the teacher, you know, either slips up or intentionally says, you know, I, I'm sorry, you're, you're a boy. I'm going to use he and him. We've had teachers already fired. Or refusing to, to go along with the, the, uh, gender thing, the, the gender pronoun thing, but there are actually countless other circumstance. And so uh, to, to take that along, uh, down the logical path, there will be eventually, if the left is successful in making LGBTQI part of federal discrimination law, part of title seven, a complete freezing, a complete outlawing, a complete censoring, a complete silencing of discussion of any kind related to the LGBTQI agenda. It will become illegal. It will become hate speech. It will become something people are silenced over to even discuss, for example, whether a child, a young minor child should, because he or she thinks they have a a gender dysphoria and believes they're identifying as the other gender. Whether that child should be allowed to begin procedures, drugs, you know, the the, the beginning of the chemical treatment before they do surgery. There will be a, a chilling effect on any conversation about those kind of cases. To elevate the LGBTQI agenda to a federally protected class in federal law, which is what the Democrats are proposing, will mean that the person arguing, and they would say on behalf of a child to say, no, this child is too young. This child doesn't know what they're talking about. They may need counseling. No, as a parent, I want to say this is not the right thing. The child will do whatever they want when they're grown, but right now I'm the parent and I think this is the right answer. They won't even have the right to make that, to have that discussion. It'll be a complete chilling effect on that discussion. Another arena where we are just watching this issue explode into insanity has to do with transgender story hours in public libraries and even public schools. I have a few pictures to show you. If you're not familiar with this, this is public libraries all over America, including in Texas where the library suggests as a program, they are bringing, you know, and when our kids were, our kids are grown, when our kids were little, we used to, I used to take them to library story hour. Someone's going to read some, you know, some poetry book or some kid's story and you go to the story hour and some librarian sits down and reads a story. Well, the librarians are now, the libraries in this country now under pressure from the LGBTQI, you know, agenda people are pushing to have transgender readers in public school libraries. Matt, Matt, do we have those pictures or do you have a picture to start with here? Okay. So this picture kind of became famous. That's a guy dressed in the white dress or pink dress, whatever that is. The little kid obviously looks scared to death. The mother's going, no, it's okay. The kid does not want to talk to this person. You can see it. (laughs) So there's that picture and there are numerous other ones. But the point of raising this is, so this is another one. This is a public school library. This is a, yeah, public school. I think this, this is one of the pictures in the public school where a guy dresses a woman, you know, in a pink dress, comes in and, and, you know, sandals and dress like a woman to read a story to children. It's happening in public schools is happening in public library. Here's another one, guy with a beard, dressed in a dress, reading to children. And this was, this one is, I'm almost positive in a public school. If you, if we go along with this left wing, LGBTQI to be added to federal law, the arena of protection, you won't even be able to have a conversation with your school, with your teacher, with your public library, I don't think this is a good idea. I don't really want my five-year-old in kindergarten to have, to be told by the school that you're gonna have story hour and it's gonna be a transgender person. I mean, parents want to know these things. They might even not want their kid to be part of it. But part of this is what I'm getting at about what the left is doing. The left is in in this Democrat mission, Nancy Pelosi and many other American left, they're making it so that they are freezing your first amendment rights they're freezing they are making giving a chilling effect as law the term often used in supreme court cases about whether laws have a chilling effect or have a impact where you won't speak up when you want to if you elevate this to protection under federal law you're going to be violating federal law you the parent the grandparent whoever goes to the school to the library and says I don't think this is so great. I'm not too sure about this. And and I, you know, can't we just have a woman or a man like dressed as a woman or a man do this? You won't even be able to make the protest. You will be in violation of federal law. You'll be told that you're bigoted and you're not allowed to think that. And so actually we've had a couple of cases I want to just mention here, A, a Houston library, a Houston public library had to apologize because they had a convicted child molester dressed up at the Drag Queen Storytime series where a Houston public library put on the Drag to- drag Queen Storytime, brought kids in to a public library to have a guy dressed as a woman reading out loud to kids. The guy turned out to be a convicted child molester. Have molested, he was a convicted had a 32-year-old guy who had uh, molested an eight-year-old boy. I am not saying that all transge- transgender people do these do bad things. I am not saying that people who want to cross dress, whatever their, their thing is, that they're all bad characters. I am saying that there is a concern a lot of people have about the idea of whether or not it's healthy for a a, a man to dress as a woman show up at the public library, public school and pretend this is normal. And please understand a few more points about this. Number one, the agenda of the LGBTQI advocates is to normalize what they are doing. It is to normalize transgenderism. It is to plant the seed in the mind of a five-year-old about, oh, really, well, I didn't realize that, you know, I, I thought there were just, I have a mommy and daddy. I thought I just have a mommy and daddy. Turns out there are some daddies who are mommies or mommies who are daddies, whatever it is. The agenda of the left. You think about it, if you were an LGB, if you're a person truly believing you're transgendered, that you really are in the wrong body and you may want to advocate for your right to make a transition. Why would you be pushing the agenda? of sending drag queens into public school classes with five-year-olds. What is the reason for that? It is to normalize and legitimize the transgender identity. It is to plant the seed in the minds of children. So even if they go home and their parents say, No, I don't think so, Tommy, you know, we're, we're Christians. We believe that God made man and woman. We believe marriage is a man and a woman. And and so that's what we believe. It is to get into the minds of children that that the LGBTQ agenda is normal. It is to deprive parents of their right to raise their children and teach them what they believe about gender identity and about marriage, about sexuality. It is to interfere with the parenting. It is to, I mean, why are schools even doing it with five-year-olds? There's actually another case in Virginia, but I'm about out of time here. The Virginia case involved a five-year-old also, five-year-olds kindergarten where they actually had a transgender, you know, story time for kindergartners without telling the parents. Of course, the parents complained later. But the point is, it's getting rooted in the school system that we get to decide what's normal and not parents. It is part of the long-term mission of the American left to delegitimize Christianity, Christian parents, the role of parents in teaching their children about morality and about identity and about who they are. It is the effort of the American left to drive God and the place of Christianity out of our public square, out of the political conversation. And I will tell you in closing, because I got to wrap it up here, but there's a new book out. I'll be talking about it next week. It's called, it's by David Horowitz, brilliant, former liberal, now conservative, called The Dark Agenda, The War to Destroy Christian America, and Horowitz is Jewish, but he wrote this book recently. He's a huge scholar, a wonderful writer, and his new book is called Dark Agenda, The War to Destroy Christian America. He's example after example where the insidious use by the American left of manipulating Law, policy, and society is all designed to drive Christian thought out of America. I'm Debbie George Addis. This is America, Can We Talk? Come back every Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. Central Time, where I always talk truth about America. I urge you to do it too. Talk to you tomorrow. Voice voice, like can you America, can we talk truth? About America can you hear-